I never doubted myself. Hey, Gary. What's going on? How are you? I'm good. No complaints. Where are you? Uh, I'm in Oklahoma City. What are you doing in Oklahoma City? Uh, we're back up. I was, I'm doing a movie called Dottie and Soul, and uh, we got shut down during the COVID, and we just came back this week. So back to the set this week? Yeah, yeah, we're back. I got wow. tested yesterday, so I'm just waiting to make sure I'm clear and I can start filming uh, Wednesday or Thursday once my results come back. Do they test every day now? Every other day. Every other, how quickly do you get the test back? Within two days. Oh, so what happens during those two days? You just sit and wait? I talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Gary, thank you. So listen, um, if you don't know me or your fans don't know me, I I, I have no idea why you're talking to me. I'm actually a, a business person. I own a bunch of wine and spirit brands uh, in the alcohol space, uh, past brands, Ace of Spades, Doucet, current brands, Bel Air, Bamboo, McQueen. Um, and I do this series called Self Made, which, uh, which is something I think as we get older, maybe you can appreciate this. Um, it's all about reflection. And I realize what's most important to me is hearing, hearing about the path to get there versus getting there. Because that, to me, is the inspiring side. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So so the first question I ask every, and I get to interview, it's great. I get to interview music people, uh, uh, whether it's Post Malone or Rick Ross or little up-and-coming artists like a little Keed or, or, or a big artist like DJ Khaled to musicians, uh, 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 athletes, business people. You're my first comedian, which is awesome. Nice. Because I have questions. But I, I start out each each one. What does self-made mean to you, Gary? Um, man, that's a deep question to start off with. Uh, it's a good. It, it's it's to the core. Like, like what it? You got there. You're there. What did it? What is it? Like, what did you do? I just, here's my thing. Self-made, and it sounds so cliche, but I never doubted myself. Like. Even, I knew I wanted to be a comedian at an early age, like elementary school. Wow. And that was the only goal, was to make people laugh. I didn't, I didn't know if it'd be like stand-up, but I was like, whatever field I go into, I'll probably be the funny guy, whether it was a gym teacher or a football coach. But in the, in the back of my mind, it's always like, I want to be a comedian, but you grow up in a small town in Ohio, how do you do that? I don't know. I, I thought you had to start in L.A. So w- when did it click in for you that comedy was a thing? Like you could do that. You didn't have to be the gym teacher to do that. Comedy is its own gym teacher. You know what I mean? I ran away from home when I was in 11th grade. And I, me and my buddy, Derek Callahan, he was driving me down to the bus station, uh, the Greyhound station. And we stopped and got... um. We stopped at a grocery store, and I got Goober Grape. Remember Goober Grape? Yeah. It's the peanut butter and jelly in one jar yeah. and a loaf of bread, and I had a thermos. And I said, I'll just catch a bus to L.A., man. I said, I don't want to go home. I go, I'll just eat the peanut butter and jelly until I get there. I said, and I'll just I'll just be a stand-up, man. I'll make it. I'll make it. I'm funny. 
And he he's hyping me up on the way down the bus station. Yeah, you'll make it, man. You're funny. I said, no. Then we got down there and we had like 13 bucks between us. They was like, you can get to Louisville. I go, shit. And that was <laughs> the end of it. go back to the trailer park. <laughs> you had to save up. <laughs> um, uh, but that was the day. That, that was, was the, the day, day I decided I'm going to be a stand-up. It was that day I ran away. I was like, why did you? Like, uh, so I have that. Why did you run away? Just it was a, it was a bad environment. Living in a trailer park, abusive stepdad. It was bad. It was just bad. And that, and I'm curious because you don't. Normal people, I think, don't realize what bad is until late in life. You're in eleventh grade. How did you real? When did you realize it's bad? You know what I mean? Ah, uh, you just get. It's just you get sick of it. You're like, I can't take this being put down every day. It's it's a it was it was it was physical. It's more mental abuse because you get hit a couple times. I was able to like figure out how to not get hit anymore. I was able to like maneuver my way around the trailer. Not I I knew how not to trigger my stepdad basically, and uh, but the the mental abuse was was killing me. I go anything. We had a boys' home at my high school, and I was jealous of the boys' home. <laughs> it was called Bunker Hill, and I was so jealous of those kids because I was like, man, I bet they got good at Bunker Hill. And those were kids that committed crimes that was now at a boys' home going to our school. That had, They lived all in, like, um, uh, you know, bunk beds, and there's, like, eight in a room, and they have a grown man sleeping in a room with them, make sure they don't try to run away. That was, and I was jealous. You, you saw that was, that was better. I thought that was better. I was like, man, Bunker Hill is where it's at. So, so – what do you think, when you look back, what do you think clicked with you in comedy? Like, was it your way out in the sense of making light of the situation you were in? Well, I used to tell kids at my school stories about my stepdad, like his irrational behavior. And they didn't believe me, but they'd be laughing. And I'm sitting there like kind of trying to open up, but then I started making it funny. And I was like, wait a minute, they're laughing at all this shit going on. And I was just like, okay, at home in the trailer, I was kind of stifled. I couldn't be mean. But once I was able to get out and get to school, that's when I could make people laugh. And that's when it hit me. I go, oh, my gosh, I, I, got, a, I got a gift here. And I like making people laugh. And it's kind of like it just kind of clicked. Like, that's what I want to do. do. Do you appreciate the fact, and I mean this sincerely, I, I wasn't until in my 30s that – my biggest issue was not knowing what I wanted to do. And that's a scary thing when you're in your mid thirties and not knowing and always thinking, Jesus, what do I fucking do? What do I want to do? You knew what you wanted to do at a young age. Can you appreciate that? Or did you ever appreciate that? Um, it's, it, I don't know. I, it was like, I joined the Navy at a high school and it sounds crazy, but, when I joined the Navy, it wasn't, I didn't know where I wanted to, I didn't know where I wanted to go. I just know where I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be stuck in the trailer. So the Navy offered me a way to get out of that environment and get out of, the, you know, Ohio, small town Ohio. And I was like, okay, if I could just get in the Navy and I could just get to California, in my brain, the whole state of California was LA. Because yeah. I'm looking at David Lee Ross, California girls, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know there was a Fresno and a Bakersfield and <laughs> a Eureka and an Oakland. I didn't know. I was just like, okay, California's LA. 
So if I so, can get to LA, I can get to California, I can start doing stand up. That's that was where, my process. So why why the Navy? Why well I guess there's two questions. Why the, the armed services in general, but then why the Navy? Uh my senior year of high school, I was uh it was December of my senior year, and a buddy of mine and his dad woke me up. And I hadn't taken the SAT or the ACT. I wasn't going to college. And they basically just dragged me out of my bed and was like, my, my buddy dragged me out and goes, Gary, come on, get up. He goes, what are you doing? I was like, what do you mean? It's like Saturday morning. He goes, come on, man, you got to get out of here. He, he kind of knew I had to get out of the environment I was living in. And he took me down to the recruiting station. I met with the Navy guys. And I was like, all right. And literally, it was like, all right. I said, you can get me out of here? He said, yeah. I said, when? They were like, when do you graduate? June. They said, we can get you out of here in July. I said, I'm in. It, and it was, was the end of it. Now, that, that much. But you know, my nanny, she's here tonight, and she knows I'm interviewing you. And she, she was in the Army. And I was telling her about you. And she, she and I both agreed, you couldn't ask for the opposites to attract in the sense of somebody joining joining the military and being a funny person is polar opposite. Do you recognize, did you recognize that? I, it I, doesn't I mean, work. That's, that, that's the opposites. Well, I'll tell you where it does work. Um, people, people like funny people. And I was able to get over, they call it skating in the military. I was able to skate a lot because I could even make my bosses laugh. And so they let me get away with a lot. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I go on a lunch run and be gone for two hours. Where were you? I go, I don't know, traffic. <laughs> and they, they'd be like, fucking Owen. That's <laughs> they wouldn't just turn in or anything. My, well, my first two years, I was in the honor guard in D.C. So we did, like, funerals and parades and stuff. And um, my, you go through this thing called train a platoon. And it's like when you first get to D.C. for the first two months, it's like boot camp all over again. But you're learning how to march and do the rifles and the, the, the funerals, how to carry the casket properly and everything. And um, when you get done with Trampleton, you get a jacket and it says U.S. Navy Presidential Honor Guard. It's like a badge of honor. You get to wear that jacket around. And uh, they give you a nickname. My nickname was Smiley. And I posted on my Instagram about a month ago. I posted, somebody sent me a picture of me and a buddy of mine from back in the days. And you can see my jacket. And you can see where it says Smiley stenciled in right there. So I was and that was smiling. You. That was you. Always. I could. I was so happy just to be out uh, of, of the trailer park I grew up in. Dude, boot camp was so easy. Training platoon was so easy. I was like, this is a breeze. So and did, when did you realize? Honestly, you joined the Navy. Like, why the Navy? Just because your friend did it? Yep, that was That's it. it. That's all. I mean, they the all the recruiting stations were right next to each other. They was like the the Marine was across the hall from the Navy. The Army was across the hall. It was, they were all right there. It was the Armed Forces Recruiting Center, so you could walk in and join whatever you want. I just went into the Navy guy first. And my buddy was joining the Navy. I basically joined because he joined. I go, all right, I'll just join because you're joining. Do you keep in touch with him? He's still one of my best friends to this day. Oh, that's awesome. So I mean, when me growing up, no, no, of course. Do 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 did he see comedy for you as an example? He always said I was funny. I don't know if he thought I'd be a stand-up, 
But how about, he, how about the guy who you ran away with? Oh yeah, Derek. That's still my dude too. That's why I say like I don't have the story of people be like, uh, you know, the, the Biggie song. Teachers told me I wouldn't amount to I wouldn't amount to be anything type stuff. I didn't have that. I had the kids I grew up with and the teachers and and sports coaches. They always like were cool to me and everybody was good. Like even kids I went to high school with, I always tell them I'm gonna be a stand up. I'm gonna be a stand up when I when I get out of here. And they're like, I can see it. You funny. I can see it. So I don't have those stories like that so whether they believe it or not nobody like trying to crush my dream i should say that no but that's amazing because in in reality so many people do in the sense of they question it why are you doing that what do you want to do come on seriously but having people support you is a great thing yeah and i think that's why i do so much for my high school and my hometown to this day because i just appreciate them so much uh, growing up like that. So, so you spent my, the way I think about it, you spent six years. Yeah. How does one decide to get out? You know, I, I got the job on comic view. I was still active duty. A lot of people don't know that I was, uh, I was stationed in San Diego and I've told this story numerous times. I was, uh, I was starting to do stand up around San Diego, like open mics and stuff where other people were going to bars and nightclubs on the weekend, I was hitting uh, anywhere I could get on stage. I was trying to get on stage. And uh, I won this contest, the funniest black comedian in San Diego contest. And it was, uh, it was a, right. It was a radio station called, it was a radio station called Z90 in San Diego. And uh, I called in, I didn't say I wasn't black or I was black. I just called in and entered. And I ended up winning the contest. <laughs> and first prize was uh, you got to go to LA and do a spot uh, up at the comedy store, Fat Tuesdays, Guy Tory's thing. And um, I got up there, did that, and I got an audition for Comic View. I got on, and when back when I did Comic View the first time, they filmed the whole season in a week. So they was doing like wow. three episodes a day for five days. Wow. And then at the end of that week, you know, um, they picked four people to get our specials. So I got, you, I, you kept winning rounds. It used to be a contest. You won every round. So I won my three rounds, and all three rounds was the same day. So I won all my three rounds, and uh, I, they called me back. I did the hour special like a month later. And both times I just took leave. I just, I took you were still, leave. You were still in the military when this was happening. Oh, completely. I just took a week's leave, filmed Comic View, came back to the base, was working. Then I start airing, and I'm I'm MP, and I'm the master of arms. I'm a cop on the base. So I'm waving cars on the base, and so some of the brothers are going to be like, did, did I see you on TV last night? <laughs> Baby, come on, man, keep moving. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then Curtis Gatson, who was the head of BET at the time, called me into his, and said, you know, hey, Gary, we'd like to meet with you. So I drove up to L.A. one day. And uh, he said, we want to make you the host. And I was like, oh, shit. I still got six months left of my enlistment. <laughs> but they weren't filming for another three months. So uh, I just basically got out a little early. My base worked with me. And I got out three months earlier than I was supposed to get out. So I could go do um, Comic View and be the host. Do, did the military help you in comedy? I got a lot of military jokes. I know that. <laughs> Aside I know from that. that. Did, it, did it give you? But I, 
I, I think if I, I'm thinking maybe it gave him structure. Maybe it gave him, you know, uh, structure is the biggest thing. The idea that, you, you know, you could you, you put things together to help you. You know what I mean? Well, two things I found out later in life through therapy and, and figured out when you when you go through a rough childhood, you probably suffer from a little PTSD. What I didn't realize till later is join the military and just walking with people in cadence at boot camp, yeah. Yeah. it kind of rewires your brain. You are forced to get in sequence with other people, and you guys got to be on the same wavelength, the march. As simple as that sounds, right, left, right, you're forced to do that, and it helps to heal your brain. Yeah. And I found that out later in life. I go, oh, so in that aspect, the military was amazing for me. And another thing it helped me with was my first uh, bunkmate in boot camp. His name was Copera Washington. He was a, I don't know why I'm so good at names. He's a, he was a black guy from South Carolina. And we, we would get pictures through the mail back then. This was before the internet and all that stuff. And I remember he got pictures sent and he was like on a tractor and he was a big black dude. And I was like, I was like, we you on vacation? He was like, oh man, that's where I live. I go, black people live on farms? He said, what? So he called this black guy from Mississippi, this black guy from Georgia, this black guy from Alabama. They're like, Gary, what you just say? I go, black people live on farms. And they gave me the Spike Lee like, this dude. <laughs> and I found out they all lived on in the country. And I go, holy shit. I go, black people live in the country? Because in the Midwest, all the black people live in the city. And I, my mind was blown. And I go, wow, I don't know a lot about this world, clearly. Yeah. And I would just, I would always ask questions. So when it sounds like when when was your when do you think you had a break? When do you think someone gave you something that that elevated you in comedy? Um, I think it was just a lot of peppering. I don't think there was that one moment. I think if you look at my career, I think a few things that stand out was um, winning that contest in San Diego, as crazy as it yep. sounds. And getting on stage at the comedy store um, that first time, that was like, it boosted my confidence and it gave me a few contacts that I could go to L.A. And I actually knew a few people there and kind of get my name out there. And then obviously hosting BET was huge, but I think there was about a 10-year run where I was kind of like running on the treadmill. I was selling some tickets. I was on the road, but it, my career wasn't really going anywhere like up. It was just staying the same. And I did this uh, Mike Epps Live from the Nokia, which came out like 10 years ago. And it's crazy how that, how I got on that show was, was crazy. I opened up for Mike in Houston. And the next week they called me and they said, hey, Mike's doing this, um, it's DVD at the time. Mike's doing this Showtime special. It's going to go to DVD. Uh, he wants you on it. And I was like, when is it? It was like next week. I was like, oh, I was supposed to be in Columbia, South Carolina. And I canceled that. At and my manager was like, "I don't know if you should do that." I go, "No." I go, "I, I just I got to get in front of these people that are doing these Mike Epps, uh, this Mike Epps special because it was it was Co Black and they were the same people that did um, the Shaq All Star Comedy Jam. Yep. And that had been a closed door for me just because they didn't really know who I was. So I said, I, I asked everybody. I said, "Just promise me." Jeff Clanagan, who now kind of runs Kevin's, uh, some stuff with Kevin Hart's company, I said, promise me he'll be in the room when I'm up there. I don't care when I go, first or last. I just promise me he watches my set. 
And it was the perfect 20 minute set. And it was funny because looking back on it, they paid me $2,500 and there was no back end and there was no hotel, no flight, no ground. You just, it was $2,500, get there and yep. go on stage. Do it. But it's a privilege. That, and I lost money because I was supposed to be in Columbia, South Carolina that weekend. I lost a little bit of money. But I was like, that set, like, that was the, like, the spark that everything kind of started happening after that. Think Like a Man came six months later. Clanigan saw me, and he put me on some shows in Japan first to make sure I could do these black crowds, I guess. And then I got on the Shack tour. They gave me my own special, and everything just kind of just took off. I ended up hosting one of the Shack All-Star Jams. But you it sounds like you felt like that was the most – like you knew something special would happen if I could get on that. I did. I knew it was – I knew I had a – 20 minutes that was it was a perfect 20 minutes you look back and you could change things that 20 it was when the tiger woods thing happened yeah uh i just wrote the black church joke that's probably been my most famous joke it was just like everything was lined up perfect the the superhead porno just came out with her and mr marcus so i had like a lot of current event stuff that i i thought my take was different than everybody else's and it was it was funny did 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 uh do you think that your how do I say this? Your past has given you. Uh, I, I, let, me, let me start it differently. One of the things I love about comedy, and it, it just hit me recently, was I was watching. There's there's this show called uh, uh, the Marvelous Miss Mizell. Do you know this show? Mm-mm. Uh, it's great. It's uh, she's a comedian. She's on stage. But I, there's this scene where she literally says, and the way they do it in the editing of the, the filming is she tells a joke and she gets some laughs. Then she tells the same joke a little bit different and she gets more laughs. And then she tells the same joke again, a little bit different again, and she gets even more. And then a fourth time and then a fifth time. And then she, she just fucking nails it. And I took away from that and I showed it to my whole company is, my God, this is what it's like. It's not about doing it right the first time. It's about, wow, there's something here. How do I make it even better? How do I make it even better? Do you do the same thing? Do you feel that when, in terms of comedy, in terms of getting up on stage and saying something? Well, that's the thing about when people see comedy specials. They think we're winging that. That's that. Some people, it's years in the making. Yep. You know, just working on these bits and, and, and finessing them and figuring out where they go in my hour. Is this better to go in the beginning or the end? Or sometimes you'll, you'll think a joke's really killing, but you're like, man, it probably would kill harder if I cut a little bit out. It's probably a little long, honestly. And so, and sometimes you're like, well, I don't want to give that up. It's, it's, that's why I love being a standup because I think it keeps us young because our brains are always working. And, you know, I'm such a sports fan. It's like, God, if I was an athlete, I'd be a coach by now. Like, <laughs> my career you, be over. Because you're figuring it out. Because you're figuring it out. Yeah, it's like, as a stand-up, like, um, the older you get, it's like the better you get. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, God. And, you know, you're just like, you look at some of your sets early on, you're like, you're cringing. You're like, God, people are laughing at that? You're looking at your delivery, and it's almost like you're boom. <laughs> you're like, God, that was brutal. But 
but isn't it wild? And this has nothing to do with anything, but I remember, I remember seeing, I was at a comedy club in New York and, uh, unannounced Jerry Seinfeld came on unannounced and he just wanted to practice some stuff. And he had it written down on a piece of paper and he started swearing and everyone's laughing because he's swearing because he doesn't swear. And his comment was, you know, I basically at the point of my career where anything I say or do is funny just because I have that cred, that street cred now. There's nothing I can do that's not funny. Mm -hmm. Can you relate to that at all? I mean, yeah, because that's why I can relate to like to hecklers. When you start out and you're doing bars and open mics, you'll get a lot of hecklers in the beginning because people aren't paying money. They're just yeah. kind of there to see, they don't know who they're seeing. But when people start paying money to see this guy or this girl perform, they don't want to hear some drunk guy in the audience, a drunk girl in the audience talking shit. They're like, no, 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 I didn't pay to hear you talk. I paid to hear him talk. So you're, you're kind of, um, it's funny because people are like, how you handle hecklers? I'm like, I don't really get them anymore. Because people are, when they Because they're there to see you. Too. Yeah, and you, you have an advantage because usually when people are paying to see you, they like you. So you already got like they're like I'm excited to see this dude going in. Is there right a sense of I? Is there a sense of I've made it at that point? Well, I, I you still want to deliver. You don't you don't want to you know you don't want to leave you don't have you don't want to have them leave there being like God he's way funnier on TV. Do, do, you, <laughs> do you remember when the first time someone recognized you for comedy? Uh. Yeah, I, I'm vaguely. I remember this guy. I remember I was at a Ralph's in LA, and I was just shopping. And I've probably been on TV like once or twice on Comic View. I just started hearing, and this one brother just stopped me. Hey man, because I see you on TV last night. I go, I don't know. He goes, yeah man. He goes, man, you funny. It was just like I was like, oh shit. All right. I mean, that was one of the first time I remember I just got stopped in the grocery store. He didn't know does my name feel, or nothing. He just saw did, me. Does it feel does it feel just as good today? The fact that people recognize you? Yeah, it's it it does feel good. Just the approach can get weird sometimes. Yeah. I always tell people it's in the approach. Uh, if you're just like, hey, get what's up, man? Fan your work. That's awesome. But this is the one that gets me when they get loud. But like, ain't trying to blow your spot up, and they're loud. I go, you just did. <laughs> 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 I think they. One of the coolest interactions I ever had with a, a, a fan, I should say, was I was in the mall. This is like 15 years ago. And I was in Columbus, Ohio. And this kid who couldn't have been more than 14 or 15 years old, um, at a shoe store, I'm looking at shoes. And he walked right up next to me and never made eye contact. He just started looking at the shoes. He goes, hey, what's up, Gary? And I went, what's up? And he never looked at me. He goes, yeah, man. And we start, he started talking shoes. And we started talking shoes, and at the very end, his mom showed up. And by the way, his mom was super attractive. He was a he was a, a good looking teenage killer. He don't get a lot of girls. And his mom pulled up. I go, is the whole family good looking? And then uh, he was like, at the very end, he goes, hey, uh, you mind if I get a picture, man? And he he was being quiet then. I go, uh, motherfucker, I want a picture with you. You're like the coolest <laughs> thing I ever met. <laughs> it was just so smooth. He just walked up. Hey, what's up, Gary? I was like, what's up? Did, did you think that acting would be a part of comedy for you? Did you want to pursue that? I just, I think it's a natural progression. I think, you know, stand-up kind of leads to more acting gigs. 
and people notice you and they want you a part of their films and, and TV projects, you hope. So I, I think I've only landed like three things in my career off like a blind audition, like a cattle call. Do you, get, the, do you get, go ahead, go ahead. Most of the, most of the um, parts I've gotten is because. Uh, Sorry, my daughter's jumping in. That's all right. What's up? It's not my granddaughter. It's my daughter. I swear. <laughs> Put in that work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She she wants to say something. Say hi. <laughs> hey, what's up? All right, now go back to bed. No, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Oh, she's upstairs. Go say hi. Hi. <laughs> hi. <laughs> sorry. So, um, do you get nervous? I think it's a natural progression. It's a natural do you get nervous? Do you get nervous in turn? Did you ever get nervous going up on stage? Do you ever get nervous doing acting today? Uh, yeah. I, sometimes I was telling somebody the other day. I said I wish I could get those uh, butterflies again, where you're just excited to go on stage and it's not a business. You don't feel I, that? I, kinda, I miss not anymore. I miss those open mic days where you're just so happy to get stage time and you get the call and be like hey gary uh yeah you got a 9 30 spot tonight i was like yes and you're just in the mirror and you're like oh my god and you don't know who's gonna be in the audience like oh this might be in your brain you're like oh this might be the night <laughs> when but when when did that stop i don't know it's just like the more you do it it's just like i'm sure i always like comedians are like ufc fighters and boxers because we're out there on our own even though there might be a team with us. But once it happens, I'm, I'm sure boxers are the same way. I'm sure someone like Mayweather or Canelo, I'm sure they got butterflies early on in their career. But then you just, I, I know it sounds cocky, but you know you're good at your craft. So you're just like, you're kind of in the zone. Like, oh, I, I you know, I'm going to be fine tonight. I think I saw Jeff Foxworthy say something one time about this. He said he used to always get nervous. And one night he was hosting a show with Sinbad. And he announced Sinbad, and right before Sinbad walked on stage, he had an egg roll, and he was finishing up the egg roll. He was on the stage swallowing, and then he walked on stage, and Fox was like, I can't wait to get to that point. Where I'm just so comfortable and cool that I know I can eat right before I go on stage, because in the beginning, you can't eat before you get on stage. You're so nervous. Is there anybody else you've come across of that, that still gets nervous, that's well-known? Do you know what I mean? Um... That's well known. I don't know. No, no, I don't really see. I don't really see people right before they go on stage. Yeah. Even when I'm on the road with people, like when we do the the big concerts and stuff, I just I stay in my um, I'm staying in my dressing room until like five minutes before so, I hit the stage. So you don't have to say names, but I'm curious because again, I, I'm in a I'm in the, the I'm in a business, and my brands they compete against other brands. Yeah. I want to crush the brands I'm competing against. <laughs> I want to crush them because they they don't like me. I'm the underdog. I'm the one coming up. I'm the like. Do you do you ever feel that way about other? You don't have to, say, but about other comedians where you know what? I'm better than that guy. I can do better than him. I can perform better. I'm a better. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I'm lying to you if I wouldn't say it's not competitive when you're on shows with people. I mean, you do want the big laughs, but at the same time, you, you it's like, I just want people to, I, when I'm on a show with people, I just want people to have, I want them to leave the show and be like, that was funny, because comedy is yeah. so subjective. And 
you want to stay working with these people because you don't know outside of stand-up one it's a big roller coaster sometimes you're up sometimes you're down and you want to you want people to think about you like i don't mind working with gary he's cool he's not trying to do too much you know at the show whatever that is and also you know you see a lot of stands doing movies and you want to sometimes you go in for somebody else's project you know like i've done what i've done three movies with kevin hart worked with eddie murphy jamie fox any of those guys at any point could have been like i don't want to work with gary and taking me off the but film, they do you know what i mean yeah but they never said that have they have they been, name the names you just mentioned have they been supportive of you yeah um jamie got me the my first movie called held up he saw me on stage yeah. and uh he got me the audition and it was crazy i was i was just, i just got to la i just officially moved there and uh i it was like he called me saw me on stage got me audition and it was like a loaded audition. I mean, it was mine to lose. I had to really fuck that audition up not to get it because he made some calls. And I did the audition. They were cool with it. And then two weeks later, I was in Canada shooting a movie with them. So he, wow. yeah, he really went to bat for that first movie that I ever got. Is there anything that you want to accomplish that you haven't yet? I mean, I like to, you know, I'd like to be the lead in a, in a, in a, in a comedy movie. I'm always like the sidekick. Or I'm, I'm, it's part of an ensemble. I mean, of course, you'd like to be the lead guy in a comedy movie and really be able to get your your stuff off, a la Will Ferrell type deal. You know what I mean? Of yeah. course, that'd be that'd be amazing. Um, I, you know, I, I still, I think it's gonna happen one day. I don't know how or when, but you know, like I'm working on a film now. This is great. I'm working. It, it, anything you regret that you wish you could have done differently? Um, the one thing I, I wish I would have changed, if I could change one set of my career, there's this, there's this big festival called the Montreal Comedy Festival. And uh, 20 years ago, I did the festival and I bombed. Could have been one of the worst bombs in the history of bombing at the festival. And what I didn't do, I didn't trust my gut for the first time because yeah. I had spent like three months working on this five minute set because back then, you would go to Montreal and you'd come out there with a TV deal. That was the goal, come out there with a holding deal, they yeah. called it. So a network gives you a lot of money, and they got your TV rights for a year. So I've been doing this set for three months, this five-minute set. So when I got to Montreal, I looked in the audience, and I it was, it was all old white. I mean, I literally saw blue hair in the audience. And I was the first comic on the first show of the festival. So everybody was there, all the network execs, everybody. And I literally told my agent at the time, I said, I'm going to scrap the five minutes. I'm just going to, I'm going to play off this audience. He goes, no, 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 Gary, don't worry about the laughs. He goes, I got everything in place for your deals and everything. He was like, you just want to get your point of view across. And I was like, all right. So I went up, did my five minutes. I didn't, I don't think I got a smile, dude. Even when I got announced, it was just like, and you five minutes, you don't have the time to dig out of it. It ain't like you got an hour. Five minutes goes by so fast, and I got off stage, and I was just like, God damn it. And I walked back to my hotel. My hotel is about two miles away. And my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, my agent goes, hey, some of these network execs want to meet Gary. And she goes, he's not coming out. He's already headed back to the hotel. I was so pissed. And my wife walked about 50 yards behind me the whole way back because I was kind of cussing at myself the whole walk back. I was like, fuck. Should listen to my goddamn self. What the fuck? And I'm, I'm mad at myself for not like scrapping no. that and do a different set. 
But I think for anybody who's listening, and this is why I love this these types of conversations, is my biggest mistake in my life is not trusting my gut, is listening to other people. And it wasn't to the point, and I'm curious if that was the point for you, where I'm like, screw it. If I'm going to be wrong, I want it to be because I'm wrong. I don't want anybody else to take that away from me. I have to be the, I want, the, I want full fucking ownership in that. Did you own that at that point going forward? Oh, yeah, I was done. I was done. <laughs> I'm just doing the jokes I want to do on stage. You know, that's probably why I haven't done a lot of the late night talk shows either, because um, every time I've been submitted, they, they ask me to submit my set. And I'd be like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. And then, you know, they put so many restrictions on what you can and cannot say. I would, I would just tell my agent, I don't want to do it. I'm good. I don't want to do that. Do you feel, do, does it? They're all yeah, but how does that feel? They're all yelling at you to say, you know, come on, conform, and you're saying, yeah. "Fuck you, I'm not doing it." I, I fuck you is harsh. <laughs> but you know what I mean. You know I know what, what I mean. you mean. I know what you mean. I'm just saying, uh, like, I always looked at it like, what's is it really going to move the dial? Me doing yeah. the late late show with whatever talk show host at the, at the time, I go, I'm doing fine. I don't think that's going to really move the dial. Yeah. And that's what I would take into account. Like, do I want to put myself through this just to say I have this as a credit? Yeah. But nobody's going to ever really see it. Well, one time I will tell you stories about my experiences with famous people asking me for free product and my answers. So it, it's always an interesting story. But it's the ability to say, you know what? I got to do what I got to do. I got to make it feel good for me. That's what matters. It's funny you talk about free products because free products for you is probably like free tickets for me. Yep. And... Even I had to tell my dad, my dad is, was the worst. My real dad, not my stepdad, not the one for the show, but my real dad. Dude, I, there was years I would come to town, and he'd be asking for like 15, 20 tickets. I'm like, Dad, I, what are you doing? I'm on door deals. Yep. And he'd be like, no, oh, man, they're, they're big fans. I go, no, 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 they're not. Big fans buy tickets. They're just people yep. that want free shit. Yep. I go, Why don't they just give you the money? See, yeah, I was like, when my daughter wanted to see Beyonce, I went and bought tickets. Yeah, I didn't exactly. call Beyonce. I didn't call exactly. Beyonce's publicist or her agent. I just went yep. and bought tickets and went to the show. Yep, yep. I feel you. I feel you. Well, Gary, we're we're gonna we're, we're let's end on a high note. I do this thing where I'm gonna ask you ten questions. It's one word answers, just word association, just some fun, right. uh, and then we'll finish up. Ready, Dave Chappelle. One of uh, one word answers. Yeah. Amazing. Comedy seller. Never, uh, never. Never? Never done it. Oh. Cincinnati. Hometown. Kevin Hart. Friend. Um, I'm not him, but Robin Williams. Uh, Miss Dalfire. BET. Start the Navy. Uh, growth. Donald Trump. Weird. <laughs> Happiness. <laughs> Self. Comedy Central. Rose. Rose. Oh, dope. Yeah. All right. Gary, I, I love it. Thank you so much for participating in this. Um, as I said, I love talking to people. I love hearing their stories of getting there. You've got a wicked story of, of 
trailer park to Navy to comedy uh, to making it, it's awesome. And your honesty is is what what mo- everyone should aspire to, which is awesome. Um, but I really appreciate this, and I, I wish you the best, and I, I hope to meet you in person and, and see you at a show as well. Yeah, me too. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Appreciate Thank it. you. All right. Take care.